Yeah, real people, real stories, this is what we know well Yeah, this is our truth today with Farron DeBell Time to get it started quick, not just here for gossiping Everything from entertainment, even talking politics This for everybody, at the gym or working steady For your sister, brother, rabbi, even for your granny Our truth today, trust, you don't wanna miss it Real people, real stories, come through and take a listen Yeah, follow on IG at Our Truth Today Yeah Welcome to Our Truth Today. I'm Farron DeBell. Today's show is a special format. A couple of weeks ago, we tackled the controversial topic of transracial adoptions. This week, the much more popular Red Table Talk with Jada Pinkett Smith tackled the same topic. Today, we revisit the topic and highlight what folks have been saying about Red Table Talk's episode, in which it seemed to some that giving cookies was more important than talking truth. You don't have to embrace me. It's okay. I'll be okay. My feelings will be okay. And you get a list of all these online courses that you can take. Wow. Yes. Wow. Okay. okay. Right. It's, it's hard to put into words, really. Wow. Wow. Right, right. right. Yeah. Exactly. And I have amazing, amazing African-American moms. No, I think that's great. When Gemma was five, she started asking for a brother. She said, Mommy, I would really love a black little brother. And I was like, I totally understand, baby. I said, you know what? I'll go talk to the people who helped me adopt you, and I'm going to see. One day there he was. You know, I just love hearing just your passion and how um, aware and sensitive. Yeah. You know, you know what you know, and you're very open and talking about what you don't know. I and think that's a must. And a constant yeah, a must. And learning. And being willing to, to learn. continue to learn and grow. Yeah. And I have to. I just commend you. Now, I just really, I appreciate you just coming here and, and talking to us about this. Wow. Okay. okay. Right. It's, it's hard to put into words. Wow. Wow. Right. 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 Yeah. Many people applauded Pinkett Smith for her ability to highlight the benefits of white people adopting black children. They say black children would be homeless if not for white people like Sex in the City's Kristen Davis, a mother who adopted two black children. But critics pointed out that Pinkett Smith gave softball questions to her guest and that some of her guest's answers could be seen as performative. And you get a list of all these online courses that you can take. I took so many courses, Jada. What did you I got personal African-American lessons, okay? I was like, Because you know it is a big thing. I know it's a big thing, okay. and I'm still learning. I'm still learning, okay? It's what a big did you thing. learn in the course? I'm in it. Well, what I learned is that it's a big thing, and it has a whole long cultural history to yes. it. And you absolutely need to learn because it's a bonding situation. At one point... Davis seems defensive about being a good white Samaritan, even when the hosts were not challenging her. Are you saying then, okay, well, don't try to do anything good because your skin is white? Because that's not going to work out. Gammy seemed to share some skepticism and pointed out that some white people might accept black children for fear of being called racist. I felt like if you don't mark those boxes, like, like why would I exclude? Right. Like, if the, if the right child is going to come to me, why would I say no to this or no to that or no to this? Got like, it. it just seems strange to me. It seemed racist. Right. That's my thing. That, I that's get That's kind of my fear. I feel I get like it. people are so anxious and right. so desperate wanting a child right. that they'll say anything. But in the end, even Gammy seemed to agree that love really is enough. Some thought Davis was bordering on gaslighting when she talked about white saviorism, first acknowledging its existence, but then saying she didn't really see it. 
I do feel like the white savior thing is a problem and, and it's real. So I don't want to say, you know, that that's just a myth. It's not really what I come across so much, you know. Some people I talk to, even black individuals, seem to miss what Pinkett Smith mentioned in her own show, that black families do adopt and are available, just not in the traditional sense. It's not that black families don't adopt, because right. we do adopt. Exactly. It's that don't go through the, we don't go through the legal system. Yeah. We've had family members that have had to raise grandchildren right. five at a time. Right, right. You know, I've taken on right. kids. I could and have taken know. on more. Right. And people that you brought into your home and raised, but you haven't like legally adopted not, but that's what that's well, what people of color do yeah we take other people's right. kids and raise them exactly within our extended families without or... going through the system our adoption expert michelle hughes echoed this sentiment last week if you're talking to the general public hard to place children never means newborns i don't care what race the newborn is what drug exposure the newborn may have even a lot of medical conditions no newborn is actually that difficult to place. Yes, there are some children that may take a little longer than others, but when we're talking a little longer than others, with newborns, you're usually talking a matter of days. The children that are truly harder to place are older children, and even with older children, you will find families that prefer older children for a variety of reasons. The most difficult children to place are older children who have experienced lots of trauma and exhibit that trauma in behavioral ways. Author of the upcoming book, Conversations with White People, Ian Bailey, a transracial adoptee, agrees with Hughes. He was seen on Facebook Live giving his first-person perspective on the topic and explained how he and his sisters were ripped from a loving mother who had no support in the community. I'm biased because I was a black child who was adopted and lived in primarily white families when I was growing up. My experiences with that, sometime during the early to mid-70s, I landed in a white home. Now that's primarily because my mother had issues. She was beautiful. She's this amazing, wise, smart, fire. I loved mama. But she had some issues because she didn't have support from anybody. This amazing black woman here in North America, she had her own ideas about how to live life. And as a result of some of her issues, rather than give her the support that she may have needed, rather than, than, than give her a backing, rather than give her the help that she needed, they decided it would be better for her and her family for three sweet babies. They thought it'd be better for all of us if they would take these three children from a black community in Toronto and move us to isolated communities four and 500 miles apart in primarily all white communities. They thought that would be better. My story was landing in a desolation pit, a scum hole, a place of lost hope, place of no charity, love, and complete disdain for black lives. And I'll name it. Let me name it right now for you. New Market, Ontario, fuck you. So I landed there and um, went through 14, 15, 16, 17 years of abuse from mental abuse, being told that I was nothing, that I was from the jungle. They actually dressed me up at Halloween in a grass skirt and put a nose in my ring, 
with a spear and called me spear chucker and walked around the school. And because people laughed and because I was such a beaten child, I actually walked around the school with a spear in my hand saying, I'm a spear chucker. I'm a spear chucker from Africa. That's what they did. They told me that I, I would be best served as a janitor. I'd be lucky if I could get one of those jobs. Teachers and 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 neighbors and kids would call me nonstop. I, I was called so much, I thought it was my name. So I came to the space, the space of complete abuse. Every single person that I knew that had a significant relationship in my life, I viewed as a person who would hurt or abuse me. And that's being a black child in a white community. Never mind the sexual predators that all of a sudden got their dreams delivered. This hurt, broken, abused, neglected child in which they could visit their fantasies on. This is a family and this is people who shouldn't have been anywhere near any child. Right? They shouldn't even gotten a puppy, a goldfish, a snail but whatever adoption agency or whatever they decided that it was a good place for me uh, to land never mind that these people had no clue about black history had no clue about black excellence had no clue about what black children need had no desire to learn those things they were cemented in the seat of white supremacy. The, the, the father had a half decent job, the mother had a half decent job, and they understood life from the perspective of privileged or entitled people. So in this, there was problems. As you can imagine, there was fights with kids next door, me, right? You were fighting with everybody all the time for everything. So it became a question of degradation, not being able to get food because you're being punished. And then thrown back into childcare, into group homes and foster homes because you have a behavioral problem. A black child defending himself is a behavioral problem. Hughes says that once black children are identified as behavioral challenges, they do in fact become harder to place in any family, which makes it more likely that a white family will come into the picture, creating a cycle of dysfunction that Bailey describes. We're going to take a quick break and be back with Book Talk with Megan Rose, some news, and more from Ian Bailey on his journey as a transracial adoptee. You're listening to Our Truth Today with Farron DeBell on conversationswith.net. Good morning, Uglyville! Every ugly doll is unique. I'm Moxie. Bobo. Wait. Those close to me call me Slick Doll. Which is not his name. And every child is, too. They can be pretty. That's why when you travel, you should make sure your child is in the right seat for their age and size. That sounds pretty great to me. Keep them safe by visiting NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Isn't that right, gibberish cat? (laughs) Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Homelessness. It may be hard for you to imagine, but the fastest growing group of homeless people are under the age of six. A six-year-old. Is this what you think of when you think of homelessness? If you or someone you know needs help getting their kids into school, please call the Illinois State Board of Education Homeless Coordinator at 1-800-215-6379. Our Truth Today. 
Silent Sam advocates and opponents are making their voices heard after the University of North Carolina announced a more than $5 million price tag to restore the Confederate-era statue on its campus. Maya Little, a UNC graduate student, was arrested for smearing her blood on the statue just before it was toppled in August. She was arrested again during last week's anti-Sam protest. Little is vowing to fight the return of what she believes to be a symbol of racism. I literally put my blood and red ink on the statue um, because the statue uh, and all statues like it are already drenched in black blood. Little referenced the 1913 monument dedication where philanthropist Jillian Carr was reported as saying, I horse whipped a Negro wench until her skirts hung in shreds and called it his pleasing duty. Last week, Little was charged with inciting a riot and assaulting a police officer after leading a protest against the university's plan. The students say they have been publicly threatened and assaulted with little support from UNC. On the UNC Board of Governors, attorney Tom Goolsby swiftly took to Facebook to criticize the UNC Board of Trustees for pandering to protesters. The former state senator called the decision cowardice and thinks the plan to relocate the monument is illegal. He cites a 2015 state law that protects monuments. UNC has no choice but to reinstall Silent Sam or allow mob In a letter to the trustees, Goolsby also recommends felony charges for anti-Sam protesters, whom he believes to be mostly outside agitators rather than students. Defend UNC, a newly formed anti-racism student group, challenged Goolsby's statement. Spokesperson Lindsay Ayling says students have faced violence during the protest and should seek protection from law enforcement rather than arrest. She worries the campus is becoming unsafe for peaceful student demonstrations. The administration has not even acknowledged that Nazis have been present on our campus. They refer to Nazis and white supremacists solely as silent Sam supporters and have only issued vague statements saying if anyone feels threatened, they should call the police. UNC Chancellor Carol Folt has issued a statement on the intense emotion, pain, frustration, and anger that's being felt. She said the university will focus on safety, adding, our students and faculty deserve no less. This is Antoinette Kerr with the Public News Service. Our truth today. News, entertainment, politics, health and well-being, social justice, Visit us online at OurTruth.Today and ConversationsWith.Net. And we're back. While Red Table Talk seemingly glorifies white people adopting black babies, author Ian Bailey says that's backwards thinking. He says white people and white supremacy created the need for adoptive families, and they shouldn't be seen as saviors coming in to fix a problem they created. White children commonly have situations where their parents can't parent properly, maybe their parents pass away, um, maybe the parents need some help, and, and all those situations between needing new parents, caregivers, um, or people to take care of them come into play. That just happens, you know? People die, people, things happen, and, and children are left needing some support. So those things happen. It happens in every culture, it happens in every society, it happens in every country. And, and, and so that will always happen as long as there's people. But when we examine the issue with black children, 
we have to look at systemic racism and white supremacy. Because the fact is that the white mass power culture has visited upon black people and our structures, and, and which includes the family, a set of oppressions and brutalities that end up making children need those type of supports, whether it's mass incarceration, whether it's just straight bloody murder like it was, whether it was slavery back in the day where they would just grab children um, and, and, and take them, right? We see that across the board. When you look at systemic racism and how it causes in every single system a discernible gap between the conditions that white people live in and black people live in to the detriment of black people, we know that some of the outcomes that happen as a result of systemic racism and white supremacy is going to be the upheaval and destruction of black systems that support black children. So quite a few situations occur where white people have caused black children to need the support, right? Let me get specific. In 1994, Bill Clinton passed the Omnibus Crime Bill, which was disproportionately targeted at the black community and so that we have more black people in jail right now than ever were in slavery. Let me repeat that. The Omnibus Crime Bill and this need to jail black lives have caused more black people to be in jail, black men to be in jail, than ever were at any time during slavery. And, and as a result of that, what's happened? This partial instability in the, in the black um, community, in the black family. The other thing is that when you push patriarchy in order to destroy the lives of black women, because they recognized a long time ago in Nixon's struggling strategy, that when you are seeking to destabilize the black community, and this is openly published, the President of the United States, Richard Nixon said, in one of his aides, he's quoted as saying, this is a memo we have, we need to stabilize the black family. Well, how do you do that? You do it primarily by treating the black woman who is, who is the source and center of all goodness in the black community, and I'm gonna say even in the world, by treating them like garbage through patriarchy and massage noir, you then can um, destabilize the black community and keep your power, right? We can do other things like making sure that black women don't have the prenatal care that they need in order to help black children grow. We can do it by making sure that they don't have access to education in the ways that other people do. We can make sure that we do other things say her name, Sandra Bland, and treat black women horribly in the criminal justice system. So this is a preface that we need to set before we start talking about transracial adop adoption, because it's not just a bunch of nice white people wanting to do in mass wonderful things for black children. Bailey said he was beaten by kids and adults alike at school, and that when his black mother was in the picture, she stood up for him but his white adoptive parents just punished him for what he saw as defending himself and they saw as being a bad black kid. I'm walking out to, 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 
to find a place during recess where I can hide because that's what it was about. Like lunch break and recess were, 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 were horrible things to me. So, because that's when there's a whole bunch of children in the schoolyard, mostly unsupervised. So to me, it was a place to hide. So if they're punching me in my face and I'm turning around and punching them back in their mother little faces, then when I excel at that, when I go to extreme measures, because I did, because there's 10 of them beating me up and some of them, I'm in grade four, grade five, and some of them are grade six and seven. And so I got medieval, as, as Sandy would say, on their asses. So what happened is there was this idea that I had discipline problems. And if you don't have a black parent to offset that, to teach the child that, wait a second, to stick up for the child and say, wait a second, my child was defending themselves. Because I never got that. What I got was beatings in the school, the strap every single month and every single grade when they gave corporal, every single month I got the strap and, and corporal punishment was, was in schools. And so when I got back to the house that I was at, I got beatings there and I'm not gonna get into those because they were just beyond belief. So we don't have that support of the black parents in the black home. So then what the child starts to learn is that they're bad and it's bad being black. I hated being black, believe it, I see Bailey. I hated being black so much I wished I wasn't white. That's me saying this to you. So, so we see what happens across the board. Now, what we were talking about, again, was this idea about support in the black community. We, we talked about having this idea of when I come home as a child, just the concept that my parents would understand where I'm at. They would get it. They've gone through the same things. They, they know what's happening. You know, they're going to go in. My mom, and this is why they started, you know, the, the, the key idea about destabilizing the black family is about subtracting the black woman and, you know, first the black man because he's not there. And then you put pressure on the black woman, you know, and you start degrading her and disrespecting her because mama isn't going to put up with her baby being disrespected straight up she's not and when my mother was able to pop back in the picture she raised hell to the point of her being incarcerated again bailey said many white parents especially celebrities subconsciously see black children as possessions he does however acknowledge that all transracial adoptions are not bad they're part of a system of power in which black children have been disadvantaged and then now they're able to pick them up as possessions. We're looking at a situation where black children are already at a disadvantage and the white people who are coming in the system are already at a disadvantage in that they think that they're superior and black children need them. So we've, we've got a group of white parents who, for whatever reason, decide that they want to enter the lives of a child and take care of that child. We see them looking at this situation and saying, we're good, we're good people, we wanna help children. And, and, and let me be clear about this. So let me, let me set a foundation so that you don't gaslight the world with what I'm truly saying. There's nothing wrong with any parent, white, black, person of color, wanting to love and care for a child. 
There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with setting up a place where black children can go and be loved, cared for, and be safe. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. So when we talk about and criticize transracial adoption, we're not criticizing that. Let's be clear. So you can take that argument and throw it in the garbage. You can throw it in the garbage. Bailey says because all white parents have embedded racial bias, they're at a disadvantage in raising kids of color. All people have bias. All white people have negative bias as to black people. That's what they're, they've been socialized to, into in the primary socialization. They've been taught through press, through mass media that black people are less than. So regardless of the love that they want to bring to black children, they start at a disadvantage in being able to do this. Both black and white communities do this where we actually think that we own our children. We don't own our children. We do things like spank them. Children shouldn't be spanked, right? If you piss me off and I break in your house, I'm six foot three, right? Black guy used to be big muscles. You do something I don't like and I break in your house and I spank or hit you, you're going to call the police. Why? Because I don't own you. Right? When did beating someone ever equal love and affection and leadership and teaching? So we, we enter into this thing where we think we own children anyway. And when we add this confirmation bias that white people have, when you add the racism, when you add the prejudice, when you add the bigotry that white people bring to the situation, my goodness, you end up in a situation where black children are just abused. Bailey argues that white people would be best utilized in providing those temporary homes for black children and only when they're supervised by other black people. So there's a black child that's in need of help. They need a safe place to go. There's no problems with a white family having a home in which black children can go to temporarily as a guardian, given temporary guardianship when needed. That child can land, be treated with love and dignity, get respect, go to school for a little while, get food, clothing, and a safe, edifying place to live. There's nothing wrong with that. These white caregivers, they need to be vetted by black oversight. That's black people who are qualified to talk about the lives of children, of black children, being involved in a process of educating white people about black children, seeing what's happening on an ongoing basis in the lives of those black children, seeing what's happening in the home, and vetting every part of this white person's life from their credit rating, to their workplace, to where they go bowling, every single thing about them, including their physical health, should be under the auspices of both white and black oversight. There can be no caregiving to black children unless there is black oversight, and that can happen at multiple levels. So a child goes into a caregiver situation, and it's a white person, then there's training that has to happen. There's training on black history. There's training on white history, their own culture, 
because we've learned that white people who actually pay attention to their culture, and I'm not talking about whiteness, Irish people learning a little bit more about their culture, Italian people, German people, those people who learn a little bit more about their culture are less jealous, are, are putting less hostility towards black lives. So there's training that happens and the black oversight makes sure that this has happened adequately. That these folks are trained on what racism is, what their own history is, what black history is. They're trained on they, their bias training because bias comes in the way of being able to raise a child. The homes that I lived in is that people already had this negative image of what black children are, and they, they, they looked at us through a negative light. And as a result, when there was quick decisions needed to be made, just like the police, they didn't land on the side of me, the child, they landed on the side of whatever confirmation bias that they lived in. The topic of transracial adoption isn't going to go away and will likely have black people and white people advocating and denouncing transracial adoptions. But when they happen, most experts agree that education is key. Check out our website at OurTruth.Today and view the show notes for this episode for a list of resources to help transracial adoptive parents and transracial adoptees. For Our Truth Today, I'm Farron DeBell. That's it for this episode. Join us next week on Our Truth Today for more real people, real stories. Opinions expressed are those of the guests and not necessarily those of the show's producers, hosts, or advertisers. If you have show ideas, email us at info at ourtruth.today. Have a great week. Thank you.